my father became very involved with the creation of the state of Israel. And he, in fact, created a machine that changes salt water to fresh water for Israel. And it's being used there now. And he often went. And one time when I went with him as a teen, I was shot at by Palestinians in a bus and became an ardent Zionist like him. And it was only as an adult here in Ann Arbor that I joined a Jewish-Palestinian dialogue group and learned, really understood the pain and the suffering of the Palestinian people. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. This is your host, Renita Hora. It has been a particularly tense time, not just here in America, but all over the world, with the events happening in Israel and around the Gaza Strip the last few days. Given this, I am very, very thrilled to introduce my guest today, Simone Naomi Yehuda. She is a writer-producer of poetry. She's written many books of poetry. She's written plays. And now she focuses mainly on screenplays. We're here today to specifically talk about her latest screenplay, Jerusalem Road. Hi, Simone. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. Hi, Renita. Thank you so much. It is great to have you on the show. I was looking forward to having you on the show regardless because there's so much wonderful work that you are bringing to viewers, to audiences. And we sort of fast-tracked this interview because uh, last week, just last week, I was involved in a table read of one of your screenplays called Jerusalem Road which I personally love and I thought was particularly timely given what is happening in Israel right now. So, Simone, to take us into this story, give us a little bit about your background and sort of the common threads that we see in all of your stories. Of course. First, a little bit about my background. I am the daughter of a Berlin Holocaust survivor who left Berlin when he was 17 and was rescued in France by my grandmother, my mother's mother, Blanche Molineau, who was a leader of the French resistance in Lyon. And that's how they met. And my father became very involved with the creation of the state of Israel. And he, in fact, created a machine that changes salt water to fresh water for Israel. And it's being used there now. And he often went. And one time when I went with him as a teen, I was shot at by Palestinians in a bus and became an ardent Zionist like him. And it was only as an adult here in Ann Arbor that I joined a Jewish-Palestinian dialogue group and learned, really understood the pain and the suffering of the Palestinian people and was became not just aware of the Israeli, the Jewish humiliation, pain, suffering, and, and terror. So. We're cousins, Israelis and Palestinians. We have been for since the Bible. And 
it just seems like an endless, insoluble conflict. And I just wanted to imagine the possibility, almost like a fairy tale, of their ability to listen to each other and to come to some kind of compromise. And that's why I wrote Jerusalem Road. So, Simone, thank you so much for that heartfelt honesty. It is very powerful to listen to your own personal story and understand your own personal experiences from when you were a teenager and how your understanding of world events have changed over the course of your life and in the time that you have been in the U.S. Now, is it true that all of your screenplays focus on the reconciliation of opposites divided by these insurmountable barriers where survival and identity are at stake? And if that is true, why did you specifically choose this path for your storytelling? I think because of my heritage, I became a victim of massive psychic trauma myself. And writing really was one of the key factors, in addition to finding the right help, in overcoming my massive psychic trauma, which, because of my heritage, seemed insurmountable. And so it's kind of my story on different levels, again and again, that it's possible in spite of what you may have inherited, in spite of whatever trauma or pain you may have experienced to go through, it's possible if you work at it, if you struggle, if you seek help, and if you want to, you can find happiness and reach a life that you want to lead as opposed to one filled with pain, which is unfortunately what a lot of people are experiencing right now and going to have that battle ahead of them for years to come. Of course, when we were doing the table read last week, we knew, I could see already that this is a very important story. And then that was right before Saturday, last Saturday, when the events that we are currently facing actually emerged. After that, I couldn't help but think, and I know that others involved with this production as well, couldn't help but think, how timely is this? So can you bring us up to speed on why this particular story, Jerusalem Road, is so important and why now? Well, I think you answered the question of right now, which was an incredible synchronicity that this horrible, horrible attack and war in Israel, between Israel and Hamas, has taken place and is taking place. I think overall it's timely because I don't want to get into politics, but I think the world is in danger of a shift toward the right, a shift towards maybe authoritarianism. Certainly there's a lot of racism and anti-Semitism and ageism and prejudice against people who are most vulnerable. And it's so important, I think, for all of us to learn their stories and understand that we're all a human family. And one of my taglines for Jerusalem Road is, hate is a curse. There's nothing worse. And so an endless cycle of hate and violence and misunderstanding and is just, we have to try to put an end to it. And I think right now, certainly in in our country, in America, certainly what's happening in Israel and other countries as well, this is kind of coming to a fore in terms of violent actions that are terribly painful and destructive and anti-democratic and really inhumane. And I think humanity, I think that's what I want to reach out to in my screenplays and in Jerusalem Rod, 
we Jews, we Arabs, we Israelis, we Palestinians, we're human beings. That's plain and simple. And we don't need to be enemies anymore. And certainly we have suffered. And in many ways, we are suffering from the same pain and humiliation. We just don't recognize it in each other. So that kind of contextualizes my screenplay right now, I think. Yes, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And getting into the story itself, introduce us, Simone, to some of the characters and the context, because you cover a lot. You've got a suicide bomber who is a sister of the protagonist who is raised in the United States and perhaps sees two different sides. You've got you know, the history of the Israelis as it unfolds, and then this reconciliation. You've got a lot in there. So introduce us to the story, the characters, and the theme of this particular story leading up to what we will actually hear in the fiction portion. I believe the scene that you will hear takes place after Ali, who is the lead character, and he is the one that has been in the States for 13 years and has become very Americanized. And he has come back to the West Bank because I said his family has demanded he regain the ancestral home. And he and his aunt Ruth, who is an Israeli, her mother is a Holocaust survivor, go to a checkpoint and he's arrested when he becomes enraged when a Palestinian man is tossed to the ground and humiliated. And the scene that you hear is when they come home, his grandmother, the Holocaust survivor, has gone to the prison where he was taken and explained. Uh, showed that he has both an Israeli and an American passport, and that explains the context. She somehow manages to free him, although she has been horrified herself at the checkpoint existence, has not recognized what the Palestinians have been doing and how similar it is to what she suffered from with the Gestapo and the Nazis. So this scene, uh, they have just come back, and they are collapsing with relief on their couches in the living room. And Ruth's husband, Yousef, comes in. They have just discovered that Ruth is pregnant. He had been told that he couldn't have children. And so this is an amazing shock and something that his grandparents and parents have forbidden. They don't want a mixed child between Yousef and his wife, Ruth, a Palestinian and Israeli. And he has had just had a good visit announcing it to his family. And then his grandmother finds out that her daughter's pregnant. The news is just new and she doesn't know. And then the issue of the mixed child comes in and how it's going to be a terrible thing in the family. And then they break up into, as often happens, each side's prejudices against the other in terms of the history. Mm. You know, we were here Mm -hmm. first, you know, you aren't suffering the way we are right now, back and forth, back and forth. And I chose this scene because although I abhor what Hamas is doing, I am not speaking about and for the Palestinian people themselves who are actually in as much danger as the Israelis right now. I wanted to present a balance. I'm not pro-Israeli and anti-Palestine. I'm pro both and especially trying to find some kind of resolution. And this is an argument that they try to arrest that just comes up when the tempers flare. Now, still, there is a lot in there because... There is this idea of home and whose home is it? And home and the idea of home, the physical attachment to home and property, but more than that, perhaps even the emotional attachment to the fact that this has been my home for centuries. And I know that this exists everywhere in the world 
throughout history and civilization, this idea of attachment to home. So both sides have this attachment to home, but there are differences in understanding as to whose home it is. And what I mean by that is prejudice aside, there is a history of home that is true for both sides. Explain what that is. I know that Ali will find a scroll, but no spoilers. You tell us. Well, I think that's exactly the point. This is the theme. Is It's about what is home for us. And this is especially important to me. My parents were exiles. My father was an exile from Germany and my mother from France. And so in a way, I've never known through them what losing a home is and what at home means. And for the Israelis and the Palestinians, they have inhabited this land for thousands of years. And each one thinks they were their first and that they were there the most. And of course, the history of the Jews, and we find out in a scroll that there's centuries and centuries and centuries of Jews mm-hmm. being exterminated and exiled and forced out of their homes. And this is the first time that it has happened to the Palestinians. And so there's a disparity there, but not the less important because the Palestinian exile or eviction is happening right this minute. And they are suffering right this minute, literally, in this agony, whereas the Holocaust happened 50 years ago. And even though there's only a few years between 1945, the end of the Holocaust, and 1948, the creation of the state of Israel and the Nakba for the Palestinians, the disaster, home is completely disrupted for both cultures. And I think that Those of us in America who, for example, my husband is an assimilated Jew, and he has absolutely no awareness of anything like this as part of his heritage, except now because of what's happening in the world. You know, I have Mm -hmm. always, and part of me has always felt it could happen again. And lo and behold, it is happening again in some way. I understand, uh, just read before coming on air, that Khalid Mashal, who is the leading and founding member of Hamas, has declared tomorrow Global Jihad Day, the message of rage to Zionists and America. We are, quote, we are asking for your blood and souls to be sacrificed for Palestine. So this is even beyond home, but it's all about home and people wanting to be in their homes, their treasured homes, and then finding that they cannot be or that they have usurped somebody else's home unwittingly through their own despair and desperation and the circumstances. So that's the tragedy of home that these people are experiencing. And it is the very center of the screenplay. What is home to you? What does it mean to you? How can we all have home together? So Simone, if I am to ask then, between last week and this week, and it's been less than a week at this point, Mm -hmm. has the significance of this screenplay expanded? Has it become more important even than it was before? Or is that an unreasonable question? I don't think it's an unreasonable question. It's certainly an awe-inspiring question. I certainly never wanted it to be the case. I am constantly in terror of what's going on in this country as well. But the fact that the attack happened the day before the, the recording of the table reading The synchronicity is just terrifying and awe-inspiring, and it's something that the whole world is experiencing, not my screenplay, but the war between Israel and Hamas and its 
what will be its long-term consequences and effects. And so if in some small way, this screenplay, this story can contribute to finding a path towards compromise and peace and understanding and Mm-hmm. listening to each other, walking in each other's shoes. That's what I would pray for. And and I think that the synchronicity is undeniable, as unexpected and unwanted as it was and is. That's beautiful, Simone. I absolutely love that. And want to ask you, then, can we do this? Can we bring about this kind of change or understanding with the power of story? I think that story is one of the ways that we can do it, and is sometimes the best way. This is true of music and art, too. You reach human beings on many different levels. Film, of course, is is central in that and being able to reach people. But storytelling is as old as as civilization, and Mm -hmm. it's so human, and it's such a common experience to listen to each other's stories. And if we could only transfer listening to a story to listening to each other's stories, in real life, mm-hmm. we might have a greater chance at peace. Right now, as you know, in this country, we are totally divided. And even in terms of facts and actual what's true, and how can we ever talk together? And if we can't talk to each other and listen to each other, it's a disaster. I mean, destruction follows. So yeah, I think that there is uh, a need for this story and many other stories that are being created and are have been created. Simone, can you tell us anything at all about the stage of bringing the story to audiences? Is it, of course, I have read the screenplay, but has it progressed beyond being a screenplay at this point? Yes, it has. I worked with a wonderful manager, producer through Roadmap in LA. And although his company doesn't produce this kind of play. He said that if I ever found somebody that was interested, I should circle back to him. And about a year ago in the summer, I got a call from London, from a woman in London, Sienna Beckman with Emergence Films. And she said she couldn't put the screenplay down and she wanted to know she was interested and she wanted to know if I had anybody else interested. And I circled back to Justin Ross, who is with Bohemia Group originals in LA. And we had a three-way conversation on Zoom. And they both expressed their interest, but also were worried because I am Jewish, of course. And they would wanted to have someone as a producer and or director who had a direct connection with the Palestinian-Israeli crisis conflict. And I am in the process of seeking that. And I think I may have a connection to someone extraordinary and we're working on that. I have a fellow screenwriter that I just met that may be able to put me in touch with a person that I would think would be ideal. And so if that happens, and if the person comes on board, then I think we're going to be able to produce this film. Otherwise, as you know, the millions of dollars that go into producing a film, I'm not a millionaire. Because of the table reading, which is recorded, my friend, the screenwriter and filmmaker, Karen Bryson, is creating some shorts or sizzle reels to send to potential people that are interested. And of course, ultimately donors, I'd be happy to help with fundraising. So it's gotten beyond just the screenplay stage. And it has a couple wonderful producers interested, but seeking that third person that would could head the team and be and lend authenticity to the truth of understanding both sides, not just this is not one side or the other. This is 
something that a story about both sides and for both sides in the conflict. Well, Simone, thank you. I wish you much, much good luck in your search because this is a fabulous project. It is a multi-million dollar project. And by that, I don't mean in production costs necessarily. I mean, just in terms of the value of storytelling and the message that it brings to the world. So it is definitely multi-million dollar, in my opinion, <laughs> my humble opinion, uh, in terms of that. Jerusalem Road, it's Your a fabulous story. Your opinion is important to me. <laughs> <laughs> Simone, is there anything else that you would like to mention or talk about that I have not asked you about in this interview? Well, I just want to, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to do this. Uh, how much I admire you and your work and your podcast, and that I look forward to future conversations with you about this and about our work and our future together. Absolutely, Simone. Thank you. And where can our listeners find out more about you and all of your amazing work about Jerusalem Road and your other projects as well? I have a website and it's www.simoneyehuda.com and it's pretty current. I update it periodically. So. Simone, thank you. We'll be sure to include all of the links in the show notes below. Thank you for joining us today on The True Fiction Project. She is a writer-producer. She has written books of poetry. She has written plays. And more recently, she has been focused on writing screenplays that really bring about change and resolution to conflict and difficult situations in the world. Simone Yehuda the writer of Jerusalem Road. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Thank you. How could I not know such a place exists? Just like the camps. I wanted to scream at them. You handled them so well, Ima. I never should have taken you to that checkpoint, Aunt Ruth. I begged you to. I need to see everything that's going on. Me too, apparently. But you need to be careful. Why does Ruth need to be careful? She doesn't know. Know what? How did it go? It was terrible. Ima saved Ali. Oh, Deborah. When I think what could have... You're a saint. Oh, of course, not a saint. Well, what do Jews have instead of saints? Angels. We have angels. So you're an angel sent by Allah. Allah, no less. How did Mahmoud take the news? You see in front of you a man who's beyond relieved. My sister didn't even seem surprised. Why should she be surprised? I'm pregnant, Ima. Pregnant? Maybe five months, I'm not sure. You never said a word. I had no idea. She was convinced we'd never... Oh my God, Basima knows? Not yet. God help us. I say to hell with any problems she might have. Good luck with that. Ali's right, she'll never accept our child. Surely she knows how we suffer. But Grandma, it can't be any worse. Can't be any worse? 
We were barely alive when we were liberated. But it was such a long time ago. 1945 and 1948 are hardly centuries apart, Ali. I know, she suffered too, but... Ooh. This isn't a competition. The point is we're suffering now, right this minute. And I still live in terror every single day, the incessant bombing. Our response to Israel's destruction of our lives. If you hadn't come here in the first place... The first place? We were here long before you. Oh, that's ridiculous, Ruth. We've been exiled hundreds of times for hundreds of years. You've only been forced to leave once. You have Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Tunisia. We had nowhere, nowhere on earth, just here. I went to the States to escape this nightmare. Now what have I done? Doesn't he realize what we went through? Enough, Ima. Suffering is suffering. You shouldn't minimize ours. Of course not. Your father knew he'd never recover. He created a list of all the expulsions. 740 BC, the Assyrian exile. 25 AD, Jews expelled from Jerusalem. 138 AD, Jews expelled from Rome. Papa did this? You never told me. Stop it, Ali. This shit goes on and on. Ali, language. How many expulsions did that include? Over 125, give or take. You're making that up. Why on earth would I do that? To make people feel sorry for you. <sighs> Ali. That's what I heard growing up. I thought you understood. I do, but that doesn't mean she couldn't be exaggerated. Oh, Grandma Deborah. I'm sorry, Grandma. It's okay, Ali. You were brainwashed. I wanted to share with listeners that Season 2 of Shadow Realm, my YA fantasy fiction narrative podcast, is out. Episodes are being released now. So do look for it on any podcast platform that you tune in to listen to your favorite audio. This is The True Fiction Project, and I am your host, Renita Hora. Here at The True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. <laughs>